Welcome to the See Me Now special edition podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Coleman, with my co-host here, Caitlin Birdsall, and we are joined by Colorado Mesa University Associate Professor of Kinesiology, Kristen Human. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking your time out of your schedule to come and chat with us today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Good. Well, let's dive right in. So I know you had said you had always wanted to be a teacher, even from the time I think that you were, you know, fairly young, that you knew you wanted to be a teacher, but maybe not quite sure in what capacity. And I think you even maybe mentioned that you were in denial a little bit when you were younger. Can you just talk to us about like where that came from knowing you wanted to be a teacher and maybe what was the denial piece that you were in and how did you overcome it? Yeah, I think that at a young age, I enjoyed the idea of teaching and like bringing home worksheets and acting like I was handing those out to stuffed animals or whatever that would be. (laughs) Um, But I think as you go through school, you feel like you have to pick a career path and teaching doesn't always come up as a career path necessarily. Um, especially if you're emphasizing science and stuff like that. I feel like the emphasis is like maybe go into engineering or go into X, Y, or Z. Um, So I think I just didn't embrace the idea of it. Being a school teacher didn't necessarily appeal to me. And so I think that was some of the hesitancy that I had was, I don't know if I can deal with middle schoolers or high schoolers or five-year-olds for that matter. So I wasn't really sure how that would all come together. But after I got my master's degree or was in the process of getting my master's degree, I kind of realized that, hey, I can get one more degree and go teach college. And I would actually really like that. So that's kind of where I shifted my focus from being in denial about wanting to teach to actually doing it. So what was it about teaching that drew you into it? I don't know. I think it's something that's almost innately in you sometimes that you enjoy sharing things with others and you like coming up with new ways to explain something rather than maybe the way it's always been done. And so I think that appeals to me that you can have this creative piece of new ways to explain something that's difficult or that was difficult for you. Like I teach a class that as an undergrad, absolutely terrified me and I struggled my way through. And I think I learned from that experience what could be done differently. And so I've kind of embraced that in the classroom of it's not always like automatic to people. And there's a lot of ways to explain the same thing or learn the same thing. So And so I think I can tell from, again, some of our conversations that you have a passion um, for exercise science and fitness. And um, I was hoping you could just tell us maybe where that passion came from. Was that also something that, you know, you knew from a young age or was that something you developed as you went through your schooling or can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So interestingly, when I was in high school, I had a teacher who proposed to the state board in Arizona to have an exercise physiology class at the high school. So instead of taking like a standard biology class, we could take exercise physiology. And so that really kind of lit the first real fire. But reflecting back even further, um, I was a competitive jump roper for my whole younger life. And so we were on the demonstration team for the American Heart Association. So we went out to schools talking about how jump rope was good for your heart and the differences like between smokers and non-smokers and their lungs and all that. So I think without my parents realizing it or me realizing it, I was learning about health more than my peers were. And it was instilling this passion in me for teaching others in that way too. 
Let's go back a little because you said competitive <laughs> jump roper. And that to me sounds one, really fun, but also really hard. And I didn't even know that that was a thing. What, what is that? What, how old were you? Is that, is that something common from, uh, where are you from? I'm from Arizona. Arizona. So it's actually, competitive jump roping was actually founded in Colorado, which is <laughs> ironic, um, by a football player at, who played at CU and realized that his footwork wasn't where it needed to be and kind of started putting together jump rope routines and then developed a team there. And he actually spread it across the world. Um, so I started when I was five. My friend in preschool, her sister was on a jump rope team. So our moms put us in in kindergarten and it kind of took off from there. But it's a sport that is obviously something not everybody has heard of, but it's the most creative sport I think that's out there that doesn't necessarily involve elevated risk by getting more creative. Like with gymnastics, I think to get more creative, you have to be willing to fly higher and do something more dangerous. But with jump rope, you can learn a trick and you can do it forwards or backwards or as a what we would call a double under or triple under or quadruple, like three times under your feet before you land. So is it sort of like, is it, is it like dancing kind of like you, you have this routine and you have, I don't know if it's solo or if you have like a, a team with you and you all kind of yes. do your thing. <laughs> There's different ways of competing. So you can compete as an individual, which has a speed component of how many jumps you can do in a certain amount of time, a power component, which is when you're younger, how many double unders, so two times under your feet before you land, you can do in a certain time. Or when you're older, it's either three times under your feet in a certain time or consecutively. And then kind of like a floor routine in gymnastics where you have to hit four quadrants and you have to have certain tricks and you have to have certain maneuvers and it's timed and it's to music. And so it's similar to that in that way. But we also do team. So you can do partner where you have like a choreographed routine with another person with an individual rope, or you can do team, which is double Dutch. So you do the speed component as well. And then you have different double Dutch components of routines. So manipulating the ropes and I think I'm having a flashback now. I think like el my elementary school, we actually had like a gym or like jump rope team come and like perform at some assembly. Yeah, I, I'm you like probably this did. <laughs> it was probably an American Heart Association team. How fun. But or just as you were saying some of the maneuvers or I don't know if you'd call them tricks. I was like, yeah. oh yeah, that sounds familiar. I think I've heard that before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How yeah. long did you do that for? I did that for 17 years. Oh, wow. 17 years. So we might have to add like a video portion to this podcast <laughs> and have you demonstrate your skills for everybody so we can all see it. I will do my best. <laughs> Definitely. Well, good. Well, um, I would assume that with being in the exercise science field, that your knowledge is probably pretty wide as far as the instruction that you can do, the types of classes that you can teach, um, like how you get your students involved. So will you tell us a little bit about maybe some of your certifications and some of the classes that you teach and all of that good stuff? Yeah. So I hold two certifications, one as a certified exercise physiologist, which is kind of an umbrella through the ACSM or the American College of Sports Medicine that allows you to practice as a personal trainer or a group exercise instructor, also oversee some exercise testing and kind of just be generally trained. You have to have a bachelor's degree minimum to hold that certification. So our students have the option to pursue that as one of their certifications upon graduating. The other that I hold is the Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. 
That one is also one I actually teach the class on becoming certified in that. And that's really geared towards somebody who does want to be a strength and conditioning coach, either at a collegiate level or in the private sector. And that also requires a bachelor's degree in order to have that. So I try to bring all of that into the classroom in different classes. So different material that would be tested on in either of those certifications, I try to incorporate throughout the entire curriculum. We're actually an education recognition program with the NSCA, which is the National Strength and Conditioning Association. So what that means is that our courses actually meet the criteria by which they would expect for somebody to be able to articulate through and successfully pass that CSCS exam or the personal trainer exam. So those are two of like the industry standard certifications that exist. So we really advocate for our students to be able to get those upon graduation. Um, I also am a licensed Zumba instructor, so I teach an activity class of Zumba and then teach at the rec. I have to say, I didn't even know you had to be licensed for that, but that makes (laughs) sense. I mean, you don't want just somebody up there doing some crazy dance moves. You want it to actually have a purpose. Yeah, so Zumba, to call it a Zumba class, you have to have a licensed instructor to actually lead so that they're following the format of what Zumba is supposed to be. And then I also hold the TRX suspension training course certification, so... I have kind of a lot of little bits and pieces from here and there to put together and bring into the classroom. So, Do you think a kinesiology degree is, I, I, I don't know if this is true, but I feel like more and more students are going into this major specifically. Do you think, is there a reason for that? Is the industry getting bigger? Are there just so many jobs available? What What's happening there? Or am I totally off? Yeah, our field is definitely growing. I think that people have more of a general appreciation for their health. If you don't have your health early, then wealth really doesn't matter because you're spending all of your money trying to take care and get back to a healthy state. So prevention is really the key there. Um, We also kind of feed into a lot of professional graduate programs. So our degrees are designed so that a student can go into occupational therapy and get their master's or doctorate at that level. They can go become a doctor of physical therapy. They can become a physician assistant. They can become a doctor. So we have a lot of degrees kind of geared towards that professional program. And those programs are growing at just an incredible rate. The university is adding those programs. You know, we have our PA program, OTs coming on here soon, PT after that. So I think that as those programs get up and running, we'll see more and more people and students within the university adding kinesiology into their repertoire. Yeah, and I'm actually working on some recruitment materials for our admissions office, and I know that exercise science is one of our top five majors for incoming freshmen. So kudos to you and the other faculty members over in that program, um, because I think that makes a big difference for our incoming students to have that chance and opportunity to pursue that, that program. Yeah. It's it's nice because I think students, you know, when I started as a freshman, I was gung-ho that I was athletic training and that was the only thing I was ever going to do. And I only looked at schools that had accredited athletic training programs. And then the first semester, I realized I don't want to work from 5 till 8 a.m. and from noon till midnight every day. So I quickly changed. But if you're in the exercise science degree, you have the ability to go towards athletic training, or maybe you do change your mind and you'd rather be in a physical therapy environment, or you meet an occupational therapist by doing practicum and you realize that that's more of your passion. So it's general enough that as you're going through the program, you can actually change 
which field you really end up in without totally having to switch majors and kind of start all over again. I think I... I want to get back to learning more about Kristen, the person. And I'm wondering, you said you're from Arizona, competitive jump rope for 17 years. What What's your path to CMU? What happened in between? Where have you been? What's your story? Yeah. So when I was getting my master's and I did decide I wanted to get my doctorate degree, I got that at Arizona State. Um, as I was going through, I really had made the decision that I either wanted to be at a community college or I wanted to be at a liberal arts school. Um, I realized that I had more of a personal experience at a liberal arts school as an undergrad than I was really having as a graduate student. And that really spoke to me because I felt like I had better relationships with professors and things that I think you lean on almost for the rest of your career. And so I had just made that decision when I was applying for schools that that was my preference. And so even given the opportunity, I interviewed at two places in one week and the other school was more of a research school. And it was just so glaringly obvious to me that this was where I wanted to be because the emphasis was on teaching and it wasn't on research. And I still do quite a bit of research, but it's not my focus. My focus is definitely on the students and on preparing them and creating opportunities for them. And so this was just a perfect fit. Would you say that, you know, you've, you've, been to all these different schools, you know, getting your different degrees, that you're seeing that students are getting way more out of, you know, this teacher student focused. Um, what do we what do we call it? Teacher scholar. Yeah, method. teacher scholar <laughs> method. Thank you, Caitlin. Um, you know, because you're there and you're that's your first priority, and you're willing to answer all the questions, and they they know you on a different kind of level. Yeah, I think that having relationships where, you know, I do study sessions at night before an exam where I come in and just let them ask questions and, you know, we don't go over the test again. We don't go over like what the answers are going to be per se, but we go over concepts and can re-explain things. And I, I really value that, not for the test part, but because it allows other conversations to take place about like, what are your real interests? What do you really want to do? And Conversations that can't always take place in the classroom can take place outside of the classroom in that way. Um, I go to a lot of sporting events in kinesiology. We have a lot of student athletes, so I can go see them play or sit with them and watch a game and hear more about what their interests are. And then that kind of shapes what happens in the classroom, too. So. So you were mentioning earlier quite a few of your different certifications. So I'd be curious to know when you're in the classroom, like what do those classes look like? Are they a Zumba class or is it, you know, the really science-based exercise science course? Or I'm sure it's a combination of all of it. But would you chat with us more about that? Yeah. So some of the classes that I teach primarily, I teach our general health and wellness class, which is for all students on campus. That one is one of my favorite classes to teach because it's really our one opportunity to touch a student who might be studying art or business or history and really doesn't know that much about health. And, you know, the mainstream media has told them one thing that isn't necessarily scientific and really getting them real information that they can use. And that's more of a lecture-based class, but they have a lot of hands-on things that they do outside of the classroom to really explore their own health. And I think it's really invigorating as the instructor to go back in and grade and see their reflection on how their health is really affecting other aspects of their life. And would you say a lot of students are coming into university really having no 
I want to say no idea, but not having a lot of education about what health really is and a healthy lifestyle is and what foods are, you know, okay. Cause you, you know, you mentioned the media and I'm thinking like eggs cause I eat so many eggs cause I have chicken. So it's like, you know, eggs were bad and now eggs are okay. And so there's a lot of misinformation. Do you, do you find that in that general class? Yeah. I think they've been told a lot of the same things throughout their like elementary, middle school, high school years about general health, but they've never really had the opportunity to dive into those conversations about our eggs really bad for us. And we talk about that in the nutrition section of like, well, one study came out and said that it raises your cholesterol. And now we have a lot of studies that say the exact opposite, but we're still stuck back in 1992 with this study on eggs. And so it's it's a nice opportunity to have those kind of candid conversations and to talk about like the newest fad diet of whatever's out there and is this effective? Is this not? Is obesity really the problem? Well, not really. The root of the problem is the causes of obesity, not the obesity of itself. Well, and do you think, uh, I know a lot of these studies are, you know, it, it matters who it's funded by, right? And whoever's fun, like putting the money up kind of dictates how that study is going to go. Do you guys talk about that in your classes too? Yeah, we definitely introduce that. I talk about, I actually had had professors that were researchers at big companies that over-marketed what their product could do and were forced to testify against the company. And so I bring that into the classroom and talk about that. Um, institutional review boards have really had to revise the way that studies can actually take place at universities because some of the studies that, you know, if a company paid to have this study done, they could say, if the results are not in our favor, you will not publish the data, and you had to sign that. And so a lot of data actually never came out that showed that this product wasn't effective or the so drink or whatever. So institutional review boards across the country are really working to try and combat that and make sure that whatever research is done can be presented so that we have all the information possible for the work that's being done out there. Um, so I am a new mom recently. And so for our listeners, obviously, they can't see us and you are pregnant. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, and so I know for myself, when I was, you know, pregnant for my nine months, exercise was a big part for me mentally, physically, and it was also during COVID. So we were, you know, locked down in our house and I couldn't even go to the grocery store to have any, you know, interaction or physical exercise. So it was important to me to get out for walks and, you know, doing different things at my house. Um, and so I'd be curious, you know, in your profession and now that you are pregnant yourself, like how do those intersect and kind of what path are you on right now? Yeah, I, I laugh because I've taught for, you know, a decade on some of these concepts and they weren't real for me yet. So it's like, well, what does she really know about it? But um, one of the things I always talk about is that first pregnancy is not a disease, it's a condition, it's a state. So making sure you're working with clients for where they are, but we have spent time in class covering like how do we modify exercise, what's safe, what assessments should be done, what considerations do you have to make for hormones and all of that. Um, but I, from my undergrad experience, I was teaching an aerobics class for the university, kind of like a rec center type class. And so we had to take an aerobics class for our degree. And I said to my professor, like, do I really have to take that, my advisor? Do I have to take this class? They said, well, 
the professor is actually pregnant, so why don't you be kind of like a TA, go to class, and then when she can't teach anymore because she'll have to stop at some point because it was all male professors, so they assumed like she would just drop dead if she taught while she was pregnant. <laughs> and so we, I went in and was like totally prepared to start teaching her class at any given time, and she taught until the day before she gave birth. And so that has always resonated with me that no matter what, when I'm pregnant, I will exercise until the day that I pop <laughs> at all costs, unless told otherwise, because she was able a week later to start exercising again and just had a really easy pregnancy overall. And so I'm trying to model that same behavior to my students now. Yeah. And I'm sure some days are easier than other. At least I know for myself, that's how it was. Absolutely. Yeah. The first trimester teaching Zumba four days a week, there were certain days where it was like, I don't really think I can do this, but I'm going to go do this because nobody even knows yet. So we're going to get through it. So you led the initial contact tracing during COVID when everything happened. And you were, I think, one of the first faculty members to to kind of show up and uh, participate and kind of navigate what was happening with that. And I, you know, when you hear kinesiology, maybe you don't, you wouldn't link contact tracing for um, a virus such as COVID-19, but can you tell us how that came to be and, and where that information came from and where it went? Yeah. So with kinesiology, I oversee one of the degrees of fitness and health promotion. So with that degree program, we work pretty closely with the health department, at least as a contact for internship sites. Some of their employees have taught classes for us. So that relationship existed. And when everything happened, I was volunteering for them, just answering the phones over at the county. And so when Dr. Bronson was trying to put together the team of who was going to do every every piece of this, she called and said, how about contact tracing? said, okay, I can do contact tracing, not really fully understanding what I was getting myself into at the time. But, you know, our research in health allows us to understand how disease spreads and what epidemiology is. I took epidemiology courses through grad school. And so it just becomes real all of a sudden. You go from really dealing more with non-communicable diseases like obesity, where you say, is there really like a spread of this illness? Not per se, but if you look like at the country and where obesity sits, it's mostly in the South, Southeast. And if you look at the maps of percentages of obesity over the years, it does look like it's spreading. So that's really how we look at epidemiology in the kinesiology field. So now tracking it for a communicable disease just changes a little bit of the framework of obviously how we have to look at that and how we need to make contact with people. And from July until October, what we know changed a few times. So we just had to be willing to read the most up-to-date information to make those changes as quickly as possible by the CDC's guidance. So we were always following what they were putting out and working really closely with Mesa County to make sure everything we were doing was in line with what they were doing. But I think it gave the university a really great advantage over other universities across the country to be doing our own contact tracing because as great of a job as the county does, having an understanding for how students live and how they can respond and what they'll be more responsive to is pretty different than maybe a middle-aged adult in the county. So, so I know you started our contact tracing um 
effort kind of from the ground up and then we're able to hand, hand it off to a redeployed staff member. So now that you've had some time maybe away from it a little bit and you're reflecting on the whole experience, because I know even for myself, parts of it are so surreal of like what we worked on a year ago or even six months ago. Uh, when you reflect on it, I mean, what comes to mind and how do you feel now today? Um, the biggest things that come to mind are the late nights and the early <laughs> mornings. Um, despite kind of handing it off to that to Michael Hughes, who is our redeployed staff member, who was really thrown right into the mix, um, he and I really worked hand in hand and developed a friendship out of all of it because we were. It was first thing in the morning. As soon as you could look at your phone, there was already a text message of a positive case. And then till you couldn't make calls anymore, you were up documenting all of that. Um, but I think the teamwork that went in from Dr. Bronson and John Marshall to just put everything together and that we, when things were happening at really fast speeds, that we could contact them and let them know like what needed to happen next. And it really just was an amazing team effort by everybody who was involved and it couldn't have happened without people really sacrificing a lot of personal time and family time to make it happen. Yeah, I know myself contracting COVID-19 and being kind of a part of what you're talking about. It's, it, it was amazing, you know, because as soon as I knew that I, you know, I'd gotten my test result, that my phone is ringing from Michael Hughes saying, hey, let's get chatting. Who have you been, you know, have you been at work? Who have you been in contact with? Like, Let's get the ball rolling as fast as we possibly can. So kudos to you guys. I mean, our faculty and staff, it just shows how incredible that Maverick family really is stepping up and, you know, doing what you have to do to keep people healthy and safe and on campus. Yeah, it's amazing. And we we do look back and laugh now because we said we had 24 hours to contact somebody, but we'd get a text message that somebody was positive and we were on the phone within like 15 minutes making that call because to us it was the difference between staying open and closing because if you let somebody out for 24 hours to go do whatever then all of it quickly landslides so we really put the pedal to the metal to make sure everybody stayed safe so well, I think a big thank you from all of us here at CMU <laughs> for that um, so before we let you go today, I was hoping we could chat a little bit about some of your current research projects. Um, I know when we were chatting before the show, you were kind of touching base on a couple different ones. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're working on? I know the focus is on students and in the classroom, but you do get to do some of the fun research side too. I do get to play in the research. So I've had various projects. I I go to a lot of baseball games. So I had developed a project working with some of the pitchers and some cooling of their arms to see if that helped their performance throughout a game. That appeared to be pretty effective. But through doing that, we realized there wasn't a lot of data on what does the game actually look like? Like how many pitches does a pitcher throw in a game? How much rest do they get in between half innings? What happens? How many strikes do they throw? What's their range? How effective are they? So I spent a few years collecting all of that data, and we're working on that, writing all that up right now. Um, more recently, we've been studying some of our undergrad, which is now graduate programs, so our athletic training students. Anecdotally, there were some comments of, you know, our athletic training students appear to gain a lot of weight in the program. 
And so studying their health changes, so studying their blood pressure, studying their fasting glucose, their body composition change, and seeing if the program really is overall having that effect or if that's more of a individualized effect. And we've carried that over. We'll do that with the athletic training graduate students. And then we've been working on a cohort of physician assistant students as well. So really seeing if in health professions, as you're studying this and as you're committing a lot of time to studying this, can you maintain your health? Does health still become a priority for you? Or are you focusing all of your health consciousness on studying it rather than doing it? And I would hope too that, you know, after you're um, finished with these studies, that then we'll have some actionable items to be able to help students that are in these programs if it is found that there's an issue there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I really like doing research that has some practical application to it. So if we learn from the athletic training program that, yes, this is really deleterious to their health, how can we incorporate and working with the faculty in the athletic training program, we've discussed what could be incorporated in different classes to really help them focus more on their own personal health as a means of being a professional in the field. So I think that that's one of the nice parts also about the research that we do is we don't do it just for the sake of like checking a box and saying, yes, I did my three research projects for the year, but doing it for the purpose of making a significant impact on what we're doing here as a university as well. How incredible. I mean, there's only so many hours in the day, but yet you're teaching all your courses, you're exercising, you are doing your research, COVID growing stuff. a human. Yeah, growing a human. <laughs> I mean, wow. I've, I wish we could just like sit here and applaud you for all that you're doing. Well, thank you. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time for today, but thank you so much for being on the show. It's been really great getting to know you and learning all about your research and what you do in the classroom. Thank you guys for doing this. I'm Kelsey Coleman here with my co-host, Caitlin Birdsall, and we just spoke with Associate Professor of Kinesiology, Kristen Human.